I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use jiving, ain't no use joking. Everything is broken. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about Everything is Broken from the 1989 album, Oh Mercy, is my pal, Dr. Chris Lewis. Hi, Chris. Hi, Rob. How are you? I am doing great. I am very, very happy to be podcasting with you again. We did our first podcast together just a couple of weeks ago, a couple of maybe a month ago at this point, doing a mash cast. And then we talked about that your, your, your sort of uh, your, your Dylan fandom is, is growing. It's just kind of started. It's a, it's a uh-huh. seed. It's an acorn that will grow a <laughs> mighty oak, uh, to quote Ed Wood. And so I was very excited to talk to you about, about uh, Bob Dylan here. So uh, before we talk about the song, I gotta ask you, like, how? Do, where are you here? You're just getting started. Like, what what albums do you have? How did this all begin for you? Okay, so uh, you often describe your guest as Bob Cats, but I think I'm better described as a Bob Kitten because I think that's where my level of appreciation <laughs> is. It's still at a very early stage, so I am no expert. So if you've got experts listening, I will crave their indulgence to excuse my ignorance. So I, I guess I was aware of Dylan as an artist in the '60s as a kind of folky singer of protest kind of songs, but kind of an artist of my parents' area of music. My mum might have had one of his LPs, but I think she was more into the Beatles than, than Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, we used to have a BBC TV show in the 80s and 90s called The Rock and Roll Years, which showed old news footage with kind of subtitles explaining the stories of a particular year. And that covered the years 1956 to 1980. But underneath that, it had a soundtrack of contemporary pop and rock songs. And that definitely would have featured some of Bob's more famous songs. So I'd kind of known the the more well-known ones. And I'd heard about the scandal of Dylan going electric. But I didn't (laughs) kind of realise that he was still musically active until 1989 and this album. Uh, and the the BBC uh, pop channel, radio pop channel is called Radio One, and their breakfast show started playing "Everything Is Broken" as Bob's new single, mm-hmm. and that kind of made me sit up and go, "Oh, okay." Didn't realise he was still doing doing music. Um, I have to tell you, Bob, it didn't do well. This is the least well-performing single that Bob Dylan ever released in the UK. It peaked at 98. So <laughs> wasn't great. But I think that was unfair. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Yeah. And I think this album had a very different sound to what I kind of knew in those early years because it has Daniel Lanois sure. yep. as the producer. And he was hot at that time because he yeah. was not long off working on uh, The Joshua Tree with U2. So I I bought the CD and I didn't really care for it. I have to say, I I quite like that, the sort of swampiness of this song and political world. But the rest of the album didn't really connect with me that much. And so it wasn't really until I started listening to this podcast and I heard so many people's passion for Bob's music and lyrics um, that I started getting... uh, 
thinking I should start listening. And I think it was particularly around the time when Murder Most Foul came out. And I saw that I was at work and I just happened to see it pop up on the BBC News website. And I thought, oh my God, Rob's going to be so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, True. Yeah, true. Listening to those tracks and the discussion of those tracks kind of prompted me. Now I have Spotify. I can jump on into the back catalogue. So I've started kind of chronologically. I've listened to Rough and Rowdy Ways, but I've started listening to the earlier stuff. And hey, you know, your musical tastes develop, don't you? So what I knew at 18 uh, is different now. And I, I quite like um, some some of the British folk music, uh, some modern British folk music, people like Seth Lakeman and Rachel Unfank. That's sort of something that's developed over the years. So uh, I've listened to a few albums, getting there. And uh, uh, for this show, I've had Oh Mercy on repeat and grown to really like it. And um, uh, yeah, Ring Them Bells is probably my favorite from this album now. I was about to ask you, did, has Oh Mercy changed in your mind since you that initial assessment? Oh sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, that that I mean that uh, ring them bells follows on from this song on the album. And it's that gospel sound; it's just amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love That's... it. And and you've you, I've listened to the show. You covered that one already, but uh, I've listened back to that show. So much to unpack in that one. That's something that's I, I find that, that that happens a lot with him is that it's almost like Bob Dylan's music, not the man himself, but the music is almost very patient in that it's like you don't get me right now, you will. You will, yeah. you will, you will eventually. So I'll just be here sitting on uh, side one of this record and you'll discover me. I'll see you in 20 years. It's very, you know, <laughs> it, it, it really tends to work. Cause I will admit, Oh Mercy was the first, uh, solo Dylan record I ever bought. I, I've mentioned many times before I started through the Wilburys. And then when I realized that I liked Bob of the, of the, of the five Wilburys, the Bob songs are the ones I like the most. I was like, well, let me get a solo Dylan record. And I started with Oh Mercy. And I will admit, I liked some of the songs, and then some of the other ones. I was like, mm, eh, "What a disease of conceit! What is? What the hell is this?" Uh, and then, but over time, it's become one of my favorites. So it's grown with me as I've gotten older. And I think that's a lot of how his work, uh, how a lot of his music works with you. Is that as you age, it ages along with you, which is a kind of a nice, rewarding thing. Because you, it's like, "Well, I heard that before, and now I'm." But it didn't yeah. register yeah. with me. Now it's registering with me. So yeah, yeah. Um, this song. <laughs> I love the idea that this was released as a single. Um, it was, it was, but it was the first single off of, uh, off of Oh Mercy. We're going to talk about that a little, a little bit. There's some, some interesting bizarro factoids related to this uh, song as a, as a single. It started life as a song uh, in Dylan's notes. Apparently it was referred to as broken days and, or three of us, which is interesting is we're going to talk oh. about some of the alternate versions of this song, which, uh, which I think the, the three of us title makes a lot more sense when you, when you, when you're hearing the alternate lyrics, but the, the song as it is on the record continues on it's broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts, broken words, never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. And then we get a bridge. It seems like every time you stop and turn around, Something else just hit the ground. Now, I mean, obviously this song is, I don't want to say simple because that's kind of reductive, but it is just a list. It's a list it, song. Yeah, it's it's not quite, I'll take things that can be broken for 500, but it's, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. it's kind of close to that, isn't it? <laughs> right. But I mean, first of all, we know that Bob likes list songs, Got to Serve Somebody, which was a huge song for him, is is basically just a list song. But I think what sells this is the musicianship is yeah. that, first of all, that wonderfully vibrating guitar, which uh, to me is the audible equivalent of like an exposed nerve. 
You know, <laughs> it's like it's like a, what do you like your a dental a dentist working on an exposed tooth or something. It's just this, you know, that sound yeah. as it vibrates out, and it just makes you feel tense. And you hear this guy growling through this list of broken things, and you're like, "Boy, this guy's having a bad day. This guy's yeah. just having a really yeah. bad day because <laughs> nothing is working." And who can't relate? Yeah. Well. I mean, that's, that's really true because you get that very vibrato kind of guitar and something that you sent me the link for the alternate version, which I think you said is on one of the bootleg albums. Yeah, the Telltale but, Signs bootleg. Yeah, yeah. What, what, the, what the Oh Mercy version has, and I noticed that the alt version doesn't have, is a little bongo riff. And you know how you get a rabbit, and if, it, if there's danger, it kind of bangs its foot on the floor to alert everybody that there's trouble coming. <laughs> that little bongo riff made me kind of go, you know, it's like an alert. It's like, heads up, something bad is about to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it said, you, you, as it said, it goes, you would almost think that a song... So again, I keep using the word simple, and and I don't mean to because obviously, yeah, it's like you go ahead and write this song, man. If it's so simple, I mean, I couldn't yeah. do it. But well, nevertheless, the word I was thinking of Bob was uh, Rob was tight. You know, it's yes. really tight in its rhythm and in its rhyming structure. Yeah, and that's something that isn't quite reflected in the alternate version, but it, it's got this really strict meter to it, and it just keeps motoring along. Yeah, that right. That's absolutely right about the, the he's he's working all these things that are broken, but it's it's got to stay within this sort of the meter of the of the the verses. And he's got broken cutters, broken saws, broken buckles, broken laws, broken bodies, broken bones, broken voices on broken phones. Take a deep breath. Feel like you're choking. Everything is broken. And yeah, it's the the the, the tightness of it. I mean, this song is like barely three minutes. It's like three o two or yeah. something. It's one of his shortest songs. And again, it is, it is that kind of just, it's this guy just sort of hitting you with one thing after the next of just this, 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 this. And it's just like, whoa, okay, 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 okay. And then the music is kind of just this pushing you forward of like, yeah, this is just bad. This is everything is right. And by the way, I love, there's a very slight, when he gets to the, the line about take a deep breath, feel like you're choking. You can hear just a, a whisper of a <gasps> inhale there when he does it and there's just a really tight little you know like oh yeah okay this is and then the the the, we have another bridge every time you leave and go off someplace things fall to pieces in my face which feels like the only vestige of the three of us idea of this song is that there this isn't just a list of things going wrong for this person there is a it is directed at a specific person there's a relationship that has broken and things are all bad. This person has left the narrator and the narrator is reiterating how everything else is falling apart post this person leaves. So it's the one sort of part of the song that sort of sticks out and that it's referring to a third person as opposed to just this list of that we're getting. through. Yeah. I mean, the, the lyrics are interesting, aren't they? Because to my un, un, uninformed kind of idea, a, a Dylan song tends to be slightly it's definitely longer. It's a little bit more meandering and it's got a more narrative kind of story to it. So I'm interested that you said there are other list songs because this really is how many things and the, the topics that kind of come up, there's domestic life, there's political life, relationships, emotions, industrial things. It really does cover the gamut of pretty much everything that could be dysfunctional is in this song. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, Bob like Bob likes list songs. He's done them uh, again. He did a lot of them during his uh, Born Again period. As I, as I already mentioned, got to serve somebody and uh, do right to me, baby. That's a list song, and he I think he likes the sort of the the, the sort of um, a song being more than the sum of its parts kind of thing. And so, if you read mm-hmm. the lyrics, you're like, well, it's, this is just a list of things. What's the? But then it builds upon itself. And actually, you mentioned Murder Most Foul. Murder Most Foul during the, the, the final like four minutes of that song. <laughs> just the list. It's just a list of play me this, play me that, yes. play me Dickie Betts, play me Stevie Nicks. Yes. And when you read it, you're like, really? This is brilliant. You know? Yeah. And then you when you hear it, you're like, oh, okay, this is sort of building to something and it's creating yeah. a sort of a, like unified field theory kind of of how it works. And so that's Bob, that is something Bob returns to as a songwriting motif uh, often. Uh, and then this, of course, this song, this sticks out on the record in a good way in that there are no other sort of list songs, kind of. I mean, most of the time has a little bit of a list quality to it. But um, this song sticks out in that it is it is the only song in that form. And it yeah. sounds very di- – and again, in terms of its sound, it could not be more different from the songs that surround it, uh, Where Teardrops Fall and then Ring Them Bells. I mean, it's yeah. just, they're just yeah. completely different sounding. So then the song wraps up with broken hands on broken plows, broken treaties, broken vows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending, broken rules, hound dog howling, bullfrog croaking. Everything is broken. By the way, there's a uh, bullfrog croaking in uh, Man in the Long Black Coat, which is uh, the, the, the final song of this record. So there's a lot of bullfrogs croaking. Uh, <laughs> in Omer. So of course, that, I'm sure hearing uh, Daniel Lanois soundscapes that he was putting on these records inspired Bob a little bit to have that kind of swampy atmosphere. They were recording this in New Orleans. So I'm sure it had, you know, that kind of feeling seeped into the, into the words as Bob was constantly rewriting these songs. Yeah. The, uh, there are some lyrical themes through the album though. You've said the contrast with the musical stars, but the, the stuff about um, the political stuff, obviously political world as the first track on the album covers all of that and the, the kind of political corruption. Um, but there's some, there's some shared words with uh, Ring Them Bells because he talks about broken plows Mm -hmm. in this song and then Ring Them Bells, he says, oh, it's rush hour now on the wheel and the plow. So Mm -hmm. plowing fields was obviously big in his mind at this particular point. Um, I don't know about the bullfrogs, actually. I mean, that's a very swampy kind of animal which fits the theme of the the kind of the mood of the song, doesn't it? But the the bit about nature at the end, the dogs howling and the bullfrogs croaking, I didn't, I couldn't quite tell if that was, maybe there's a suggestion that that, those are things that animals should be doing. So they're not broken. (laughs) Um, So maybe it's just the man-made world, everything that man has created, uh, that human beings have been involved with, that's broken. And actually maybe the world, the natural world is kind of, ticking along as it should be i don't know what do you think about that is that is that me reading too much into it i i've never thought about that that's really interesting i like that a lot i i that that has never occurred to me i've I've owned this record for 30 years and i've never thought about that but that makes i like that a lot the idea that the the natural world is humming along just fine and it's this guy's personal world that's falling apart and it's almost uh frustrating to hear the dogs and the the bullfrogs doing their thing while you're maybe inside your 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 cramped lonely apartment and everything's falling apart. I like that a lot, Chris. I really think okay. that's a neat idea. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, that's good. We're, you're, all right, officially this episode will be put out, Chris. You've officially cleared the bar. So we're going <laughs> to... Earned my stripes. Earned your stripes. You've earned it, absolutely. You're officially a bobcat now. You're not a longer a bobcat. I like that, I like that observation uh, quite a bit. So I'm going to talk a little bit about these alternate versions because, of course, okay. with, with Bob Dylan, there are almost always alternate versions. And many years ago, I got a bootleg which featured... Uh, some alternate versions of Oh Mercy songs. And there was an alternate version of, of Everything is Broken. It was referred to on the on the track listing, I think, as Broken Days. And the sound quality was terrible. It was an enormous level uh, of hiss. So it was kind of hard to make out uh, some of the words, but I was listening to it. And the song essentially is the same. The structure is the same. It doesn't have that vibrato in it. I'm assuming that was maybe added in later on in the mix. But the, the basic structure is the same, except... When you get to uh, the the choruses, or not the choruses, but you get to the bridge, and all of a sudden the words are very different. And this this version you can find on the Telltale Signs set. And instead of the we got the in the the, the official the release song with the every time you stop and turn around, and then the every time you leave and go off someplace. Uh, here it's got I sent you roses once from a heart that was that was truly grieved. Sent you roses someone else must have received. I was like, whoa. I, that I is like such that. a good couple of lines. Oh, boy. Doesn't that just tell a story in, oh, you man. know, 30 words or less? Ooh, ooh, oh, boy. Uh, so that I was, I, I can remember being in my car because it was a CD that I got. And I remember being in my car playing it for the first time. And I got, and, you know, not knowing that there were alternate words, I'm not expecting them. So I'm just sounded coming along listening. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, what? That's not the song. What is it? So then I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then he gets into, if anything, an even more interesting bridge, which is seeing James Dean in a picture once coming in from the cold. She said, I hope, geez, I hope I look that good if I get to be that old, which is like, <laughs> you know, poof, scanner's time. And my head just explodes. And, you know, uh, Chris, we're talking about that you're kind of new to, to Dylan, yeah. Dylan Elia. Uh, one of the things that you will have to accept as a Dylan fan as you go through life is Bob jettisoning, li- jettisoning lines out of songs where you're like, how could he not have left that in the song? Yeah. How did yeah. he do that? That cup, Both of these couplets, that's not a couplet, both of these li- sets of lines are, to me, genius level in terms of how much of a picture they paint in just, as you said, like 30 or 40 words. Oh. The, the idea that he would leave these out is it's just so frustrating because I love so much. If I had written that I sent you Rose's line, I would take the week off (laughs) because I just think that is such a powerful, emotional, evocative set of phrases. You know, it tells that story of that relationship that was... You know, he was seeking forgiveness. He sent roses. It went to somebody else. Was that deliberate? Was that an accident? What the hell happened next? It's so, such a perfect encapsulation of a relationship and a a relationship under strain. Boy, it's just amazing. I think it's it's my favourite of all the verses, of all the words in all these songs. I think that's my favourite couple of lines. It's amazing. And I, and it was on the cutting room floor. It was on the cutting room floor. I mean, the, the line about, say, your roses someone else must have received. The first couple of times I heard it, I took it as more literal. Like, okay, the roses ended up 
with somebody else, either as yeah. you know, on purpose or accidental. But now, after you know having lived with this version for a while, the I sort of now take it as the roses maybe did arrive to the right person, but the person is no longer accepting uh, of this okay. person. Yeah. So it's like, well, the person I thought I was yeah. sending the roses to is not the person that ended up yeah. getting them. They're the yeah. same person in a literal yeah. sense, yeah. But, but structurally and, and in your heart, they're not the right person. They're and in I a can, different, yeah. Different I can place. remember one. I will say I will tell the story. I remember one time, many, many, many years ago, I was with it was in a relationship with someone, and I was really never secure in the relationship, and I was trying anything I could to kind of keep it going. And I remembered I made this big. I'm, I'm not a big flower guy. I don't really buy flowers uh, for people, but I bought. Uh, roses for this person for this woman i don't know why i'm saying person it's a woman and uh and i made a big deal of it i was like oh this is going to be great and then there was some weird hiccup with the delivery and they couldn't get into the building and it was the kind of thing where i wanted it to be a surprise but then we were late for something and i was trying to be like can we just wait five minutes and she was like why are we waiting five minutes and i didn't want to reveal it and it just became the damn thing just metastasized <laughs> into this horrible disaster because it was like, I was trying to do this romantic gesture and now everybody's annoyed, you know? And it was just like, <laughs> Oh man. And it was, you know, so when I do that line, someone else's must have received, it was like the person that I intended to get those roses is not the person who eventually got them because by the time she got them, she was annoyed. Because yeah, the whole yeah. thing had just fallen apart. And so I relate to that line very, very strongly. <laughs> and then the second bit, the, James, the G, James Dean in a picture once. I mean, we all know that Bob loved James Dean. He's a big fan of James Dean. Obviously, the idea of James Dean looking good if you get to be that old. Well, James Dean died. Never got to be very never old. Never got to be old. Yeah. And that's something that obviously uh, probably uh, anyone of Dylan's uh, it, uh, length of fame uh, has to deal with is that people look at him now and they're like, well, who's this sort of saggy old man compared to, you know, what he looked like in 19. And I will say just as a side of one of my pet peeves is like when some magazine or some article or, or some media outlet does an article on Bob Dylan and they show a picture of him from 1965, even though they're talking about yeah. him now. And I'm like, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> like, I mean, what are you talking? That's like running a, you know, like, like, you know, your driver's license photo, but having it be when you're eight, you're like, well, that doesn't, that's, I don't look like that now. I, and I always feel like that's our youth obsessed culture, which is like, let's look at Bob Dylan when yeah. he was handsome, as opposed to, you know, craggy old man now. Well, that's what he looks like now. Let's just, we can, it's okay. It's fine. Um, but I mean, that, the idea of seeing James Dean in a picture and coming in from the cold, which is just, again, a wonderfully evocative phrase. And just, again, I love the shrugginess. Jeez, I hope I get to look that good if I get to be that old. This kind of just, <laughs> and it just like, oh man, I, and of course I have to wonder if as Bob was revising this song, he wanted to strip out more of the, the three dimensional, uh, the three people aspect to it. Uh, Dylan songs often have uh, three people involved, Tangled Up in Blue or Visions of Johanna. There's lots of triads in Dylan's songs and relationship form. And I wonder if he just thought, you know what? I want to strip all that out and just keep it simple to more just the list of yeah. broken things. And he left it in. And he mentioned himself, yeah. by the way, the song, he mentions the song a few times in his book Chronicles, which is, uh, he only mentions a handful of songs, but he mentions everything, everything is broken. And he says, uh, if the song is made up of quick choppy strokes, the semantic meaning is all in the sounds of the words. 
So again, he's saying it's not meant to be sort of literal. You're not supposed to take everything meaning something. It's really just an aggregate of how you feel hearing this song. And because it is so catchy, the tune is so catchy. Yeah. I could see that Columbia Records thought, well, this could be a good single. That said, it was not a big, as you just mentioned, it was not a big single in England. It was not a big single here in America. It was B-sided with a song called Death Is Not The End, which is from an outtake from his 1983 album, Infidels, released on the 1988 album, Down In The Groove. That, to me, almost constitutes somebody at Columbia Records' version of a joke. Because what, why would you put a song from a previous album when there are 90,000 alternate takes of Dylan songs to put on a single? If you're going to B-side something, B-side it with something people haven't heard. Instead, you're just going to pull a song from the previous record that nobody liked? Like, that doesn't, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that. I just thought that that's, somebody at Columbia Records was just being perverse of B-siding it with Death Is Not The End. That makes no sense to me at all. That said, the other reason I think it's a weird single is that I think a lot of people who don't know Dylan or only know him as you were talking about, kind of in a a holistic sense, they hear him as like, oh, he's that cranky old guy. And he Uh talks about sad stuff. And then they hear this song and it's just a list of a guy being pissed off about stuff. It's almost, I could hear somebody going, ah, that's what that, that's what Bob Dylan does. And it's like, I could see people dismissing it because if you don't hear it in the greater context, it just sounds like he's cranky old man. And like, as much as I like everything yeah. he's broken, does it work as a single yeah. really? Do you think he's generally cranky? Cause I think, I mean, it's quite upbeat for a song about things that are, you know, <laughs> decaying and defeated and failing. It is quite, it's quite quick, the tempo of the song. And I think there's a little bit of mischief and relish about the way he sings it. Like he's oh, almost sure. enjoying the state of decay to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it would be easy to, uh, to sing it as a very downbeat kind of number. But there's a little bit of impishness about it to Oh, my totally. Totally, yeah. I just think that it's if you're someone who doesn't know him and you only know him by reputation that he just sings – you know, all stuff about social justice, you know what I mean? Just stuff that uh-huh. like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. hear this, you're like, all right, whatever. You know, like you just, it's not, and I, it just, to me, it's a curious choice. Uh, I guess I think again, probably Columbia record just heard the tune and because there aren't that many f- up-tempo songs on, um, Oh mercy that they were yeah. limited to what they could pick. And so they went with this, but it's an interesting, uh, interesting idea for a single. And we're going to talk about the, the sort of mischievous version because there, there are, good number of cover versions of the song surprisingly bob himself played it at his mtv unplugged concerts uh they didn't make the record but he did attempt it so obviously it's a song that was still something he wanted to play around with mm-hmm. even in, by 1994 also and he mentions in chronicles there is yet another missing verse that he mentions in chronicles now this verse I've never heard a version of the song with this verse. Uh, presumably it exists. It's never been released as far as I know. I've never heard it on a bootleg. It was not on Telltale Signs. But apparently the song was originally going to end with this verse. Broken strands of prairie grass, broken magnifying glass. I visited the broken orphanage and rode upon the broken bridge. I'm crossing the river, going to Hoboken. Maybe over there, things ain't broken which gives the song a very different ending. Much That's more what upbeat. You showed, I mean, much more upbeat. <laughs> much more upbeat. First of all, I'm always happy when Bob mentions New Jersey. They're just as a you know, small local pride. I'm happy there. But that is very interesting that he chose, he wrote those lines, 
I mean, a broken orphanage is very sad, by the way. Jeez. Yeah. But then going over to Hoboken, maybe over there, things ain't broken. And it's, I would, I can't wait to eventually get the bootleg with this, just to hear it. That sounds really fascinating. It gives us a little bit of a off to see the wizard kind of ending. A little doesn't bit. It? <laughs> a little bit. The yellow road to Hoboken. Yeah. yeah oh, boy. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And obviously, Bob must have felt some, uh, you know, in retrospect, some affection for those lines because he actually quoted them in his book. I mean, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really spend a lot of time giving us alternate takes of his songs by him. You know, he, yeah. his record company does, but he doesn't. It's not like he's like, oh, hey, guys, you want to listen to this? He doesn't do that. So yeah. for him to take the effort to dig these lines up and post them in the book says he must have maybe thought, oh, these, are, oh, these, these weren't too bad, yeah. actually. And I like, I like them quite a bit. Now, live-wise, uh, he has done this in concert 284 times. His first live performance was October 10th. 1989. Now, of course, Chris, October 10th, that's a fairly significant date for Very you. special day, yes. That's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so this is now the second podcast in a row with you where we have done something related to October 10th, because the yeah. MASH episode we talked about, it came out on October 10th, 1975. So October it's 10th. Meant to be. It's meant to be. It's a simple twist of fate. Um, you <laughs> we're can, gonna have to look out comics and things that came out on that date as well aren't we now oh i was gonna say going. i was gonna say we have to do an episode of fade out about a movie that came out on october 10th we gotta just retrofit it do it that way um the, there are a number of live versions available on youtube uh the song in a lot of versions is six minutes and you gotta wonder how does he do it six minutes well they basically just play the riff Clearly, yeah. he's enjoying playing the riff. So it's in between the verses. It's a lot of dun 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 yeah. dun 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 dun, and he just clearly him and the band are enjoying playing the, yeah. the riff. And so it, I will say, six minutes is a little much for everything is broken in, in my. Opinion. He could maybe pad the harmonica solo out a little mm-hmm. bit because it's very again on the album version very very tight, very sparse. Yep. But clearly, you could embellish that a bit and uh, uh, take up a bit more time. But yeah. that yeah, that's that's interesting, isn't it? Doubling the length of the song. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah uh, now yeah. he's covered it. It's been covered by a lot of different people. Just some of the few, some of the couple of people I want to mention. Uh, Larry Norman does a really fun version. Betty Levette did one in 2012. Cheryl Crow, Jason Isbell. So this song's been, uh, uh, Duke Robillard covered it, who actually played in Dylan's band. Uh, so it's been covered quite a bit. And I always feel like then it, it's, it becomes like, and you, if you listen to these cover versions, they're kind of more upbeat, at least in the verbal, the, the vocal take. And yeah. I think it gets to what you're talking about with that kind of mischievous. It's like playing the blues. It's just like, yeah, yeah. everything sucks. And we're going to sing about it. And that's going to help lift our spirits. Because, again, who can't relate to feeling that everything is broken at some point? Yeah. I, I did check out some of the, the cover versions online. And, and yeah, they, they definitely lean into the blues country kind of um, style of this, don't they? Cheryl Crow is the only artist I've I've heard of before, but the Betty is it Betty Levette? Betty Levette, yeah. she's got an amazing voice. She's kind of mm-hmm. like Tina Turner yes. singing, um, singing. It. It's great. Yeah. So, so it's it's a song that uh, obviously it's it, it's like um, that line about the the Velvet Underground where they said that the, the Velvet Velvet Underground never sold a lot of records, but everybody that bought one of their records formed their own band. So they, they were, yeah. you know, like outside, outside of, uh, outside of influence, outsized influence, uh, yeah. what they had. And so I feel like this song is one of those that the average person doesn't know it, although it appears 
on two greatest hits collections. It appears on the essential Bob Dylan from 2000 and then the bigger essential Bob Dylan collection, which is simply called Dylan in 2007. And, you know, how these things, how songs get picked, some songs are obvious, like a Rolling Stone or Gotta Serve Somebody or Tangled Up in Blue, songs that were genuine hits. Those are obvious. And then I always figure how they determine the other songs must be on some level a, a panel of people, or maybe they ask Bob, you know, what songs would you like to include? The fact that this song was, yeah, it was a single, but it was not a hit in any way, appears on two different greatest hits collections suggests mm-hmm. to me that Dylan himself or somebody at Sony music is a big fan of it. And is sort of like, all right, we want to, you know, let, we're going to highlight this over some of the other songs. I mean, yeah. he did, he did videos for other songs on this record. He did a video for most of the time. He did a video for political world. They never did yeah. a video for everything is broken. And yet this is the song that gets put on these greatest hits yeah. collections. So obviously, you know, Bob's, he may not play it all that much. He hasn't played it since 2003. Good Lord. Almost 18, 18 years ago. He hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't played it. Um, time means nothing when you're talking about Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, it's obviously something that he cared about because. Uh, it, and if it gets referenced up. in Chronicles, it sounds like it, yep. you know, it, it clearly has some significance. And um, I was reading an interview. Oh, well, that's not true. I found a website, a Bob Dylan website that references an interview with Sam Shepard. Yes. I, I have that in my notes fact. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it does sound like these lyrics came from a time when he was not having a good time. He was mm-hmm. not happy with his career, and it sounds like maybe some health problems and things. So, and and maybe putting that down was a kind of catharsis and getting it mm-hmm. recorded. And it does sound like, uh, from what I've gathered from the the show, Dylan in the early eighties was not in a great place. Whereas this album perhaps was the start of a bit of a revival and a bit of moving into a slightly more um, creatively successful kind of place. So, um, you know, perhaps it, perhaps it, it is a bit of a watershed for him. Maybe that's why it gets the, the attention. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, just to give, just, I'll just give you a little bit of history here. Uh, people that are the, you know, listening to the show already know this, but in the, in the mid eighties, Bob's records were not selling particularly well and he wasn't putting a whole lot of effort into them. He was really just sort of fulfilling the contract of you know albums that had to be produced and he was just sort of slapping things together of you know random songs and different sessions and putting things together and that ended up being knocked out loaded and down in the groove and both records really were kind of just dismissed and and forgotten about Mm. and then after that he then recorded with the Wilburys which I think sparked uh, you know got the creative spark flowing and at that around around that same time he, he inked a new contract with Sony Records, Sony Music slash Columbia Records. And I think the supposition is uh, he knew that with a new contract, he had to make it count. He couldn't just sort of toss off records and shrug and not worry about it. He had to make mm-hmm. it count. And so he had written these songs. And instead of just trying to bang them out himself, he went to his buddy Bono and played some songs for Bono. And Bono was the one who said, I think Daniel Lenoir can really do something with these. And okay. Yeah. And so, and that's Dylan, the connection. That's the connection. Okay. And Dylan's Dylan. It's funny. He mentions in Chronicles that Lenoir apparently was not that big a fan of this song. He was a little like, eh, it's all right. You know, which again, I love that okay. idea that like Bob Dylan could play a song for you and you go, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> like, anything else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't get any more like a Rolling Stones in you. But Bob himself liked it. Bob was like, I'm going to persevere with this, which is so funny because that is the complete opposite of what you normally hear. 
usually it's everybody in the room loves X song. And Bob is the one who's like, nah, we're leaving that off the record. And everyone else is like, yeah. And this is the opposite. Bob is like kind of, not that he has to push for it. It's his record. But he was the one championing this song versus Lanois, who was just kind of like, all right, it's fine, but I don't, I don't love it. You know, whatever. So I thought that was interesting. But, but I think Lanois plays on it, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's something that, uh, that, that Bob, you know, Bob, I think endeared, uh, endeared to, to Bob. Lanois was endearing to Bob because he was a musician. I think mm-hmm. uh, Dylan understood that kind of, and, and obviously their, their friendship has continued. I mean, Lanois has given interviews about that Dylan will play him uh, songs uh, just to get his opinion, even though it's a record Lanois not working on, uh, which again is like, what an amazing resource to have to have like, <laughs> Yeah, Bob Dylan calling you up. Can I play you some songs? Like, All right, sure. You know, I got, I got about, I got a half hour, Bob. We're gonna, we're gonna play. Oh, <laughs> I'll give you one rough and ready ways. Yeah, yeah right. No, murder uh, most foul. Well, that's murder foul. Minutes, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we right. could get half of it in now. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's and so Oh Mercy was clearly a record that he worked on long and hard, and it made a big impression. People, a lot of critics were initially were like, "This is the best thing he's done in quite a while," and it really did sort of. If you look at his, if you want to break down his career into sort of creative renaissance, renaissance periods, which it's a little, again, a little on the reductive side, but that really was kind of the beginning of, you could see him, I think, putting just a little more effort into making sure the songs were given the best possible uh, versions that, 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 uh, that were, were available, that he really worked mm-hmm. hard on them, and they weren't just slapped together from different sessions. That said, Oh Mercy remains a record that some of the greatest songs that he's ever done uh, didn't make it on. I mean, my favorite, I've said this, I've already mentioned this before. My favorite song of all time of Bob Dylan's is series of dreams, which was recorded for this record and left off. Um, so, you know, Bob is still capable of, of cut. And then the, the, the other song dignity, which is another masterpiece of a song was cut from this record. Uh, so, I mean, Bob was still, you know, I think not always the best judge of the best songs. Apparently Lanois begged him, to leave dignity and series of dreams on, but Bob wouldn't hear it. And you know, wow. Bob, the one with his name on the record, but we do get and, it. And how did those show up? Bobby? Cause this has a very, a very particular sound, doesn't it? This album, mm-hmm. I can't imagine it would f- slip easily onto another album later on down the track. Did, did it come up as a bootleg or how, how did it kind of come to which, your attention? Which, which song series of dreams? Yeah. Uh, it's on the bootleg series, the first bootleg okay. series collection. Uh, and it would have fit actually on this record pretty well. Cause it has, it sounds very Dan, Daniel Lynn wash. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it would have fit, I think quite well, but unfortunately Bob was just like, Nope. So, okay, there it is. <laughs> but like I said, I mean, he's got, everything is broken is, is, a, is, a, it's a fun song to, despite how downbeat it is. It's a fun song. Cause as you said, he's got that mischievous tone to him. There is a kind of, uh, you know, like, ah, eh, fuck it. It's okay. You know, everything's all right. You know, yeah, everything sucks, but we'll, yeah. we'll get through it. And we've all had shrug. shrug. Yeah. Yeah. We've all had nights like that where things just are just going so wrong. And you're like, you know what? I am just going to sit here and binge watch some show and just stay away from humanity until tomorrow. And I'll worry about all this tomorrow. And that's, yeah. uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Sam Shepard. He said in the, in that interview with Village Voice, that's a great song referring to everything yeah. is broken. So, I mean, that's obviously something very specific. Sam Shepard wrote songs with Bob Dylan, was friends with Bob Dylan. And for him to point that song out like that, uh, that's a high compliment to go out of your way to say that song, that's a great song. Yeah. You know? So, and again, it's, it's uh, deceptively simple. 
And so it's, it's just a great tune. And I would love to hear, you know, Bob pull it out in concert again. But uh, again, it's been, uh, it's been 18 years, 18 years since, but who knows? Never, never say knows. never, never say never, Bob Dylan. So, so, okay. So what, let's wrap this up, Chris. I'm going to ask what other records or do you have any other records of Bob's or you mentioned Spotify? Are you just kind of bopping through song by song? Uh, I, so I have, so like you, I have the Wilburys albums mm-hmm. still waiting for that disc too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so that was, that was a couple of years later. I think. Um, but in terms of actual kind of physical media, no, that's what I've got. But like I say, with this kind of streaming services, it's dead easy just to kind of do a quick search and dip in. So, um, yeah, so I have Spotify in the car. So that's kind of my um, uh, traveling to and fro work music is just starting to work through the back catalogue. And like I say, I don't know if chronologically is the best way to do it, but um, that sounds like a, sounds like a, a reasonable way to, to start at least. There's no bad way to do it. There's no, there's, there's <laughs> so, it's such a deep world to, to dive into. There are some records that I would suggest, and we could talk about this off air. There are some records that I would suggest that you listen to as a piece, as a whole okay. piece. You don't, you don't listen to it in, in, uh, so, you know, random songs. Song form, but for the, yeah. but for the most part, uh, by the way, the Wilburys records bracket, Oh Mercy. Uh, Wilburys was eight, Wilburys volume one was 88. Oh Mercy was oh, 89. Okay. Wilburys volume three was 1990. So, I mean, he's literally oh, okay. fitting in this record. And uh, this is another quote that I have said on the show many times, but that there's the quote from George Harrison, where apparently after he listened to Oh Mercy, he said, well, if the Wilburys did anything, it got Bob back to writing great mm. songs, which, again, what an enormous compliment for a Beatle to yeah. about your yeah. work. <laughs> you know, whoop. So. Yeah. It's again, interesting. They're both with quite big producers, aren't they? Because Jeff Lynne and Daniel Lanois, very, very distinctive sounds to their records. <laughs> I think there is something very, I think you can, you can do a definite A to B to C to D line when you look at the fact that Bob worked with, as you just mentioned, Jeff Lynne uh, and, and, essentially, and, you know, in some respects, George Harrison on the Wilburys mm-hmm. as producers, Daniel Lanois as producer on No Mercy, uh, the Jeff Lynn again and George Harrison again on the Wolverines, the was brothers on 1992s uh, or 1990s under the red sky, another big set of celebrity producers. And wow. Then, I did not know that. Yep, yep. I, I, I love the was brothers back in the day. I'm going to have yep. to go and listen to that now. There you go. But then, <laughs> then after working with those string of very heavy handed, not necessarily in a bad way, but very heavy handed producers, Bob's next two records were the folk covers records where they were literally recorded in his garage with no one else around. I think that's, wow. I think that, I think that, I think that suggests that maybe Bob was like, yeah, I could have, maybe I need a break from the producers for a little <laughs> while. I can just sit here and sing Froggy Went a Courtin' and just record it and put it on a record. Uh, that's I fun. think I can handle this one myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bob might've been like, all right, and then with the producers are ready. Okay. So anyway, uh, well, Chris, I mean, Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your bravery because I wanted <laughs> I wanted you to be I I really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed our mash cast. I wanted you to come on the show. I knew you would be great because as I said to you, being a big fan of something doesn't mean you're good on a podcast. That those two things don't mean but and conversely, just because you're not a big fan of something doesn't mean you weren't good on a show and this show I want this show to be and the show is for people that love the music 
in any form. You do not have to be a mega fan like me because as, as I've told you off air, there are people I know that don't consider me a mega fan. I've recorded 160 episodes of a podcast about Bob Dylan, but I'm not enough of a fan for some people. So there is no, I don't believe in gatekeeping. And so I, and I knew you were reticent to do it because you didn't, you wanted to make sure you were sort of you know, quote unquote good enough, but I knew you would be. <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I thank you very much for doing this. Well, thank you, Rob. I always overcompensate by researching massively. So <laughs> hence the finding out Sam Shepard interviews from 1992. But I want to thank you back because I think your enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of the guests you have on has really been inspirational. It's really helped me to get into Bob's music and to want to know more about him. So uh, I will say, uh, as, a, as a new fan, that's largely because of what you've been doing on these podcasts. So thank you very much. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. I would imagine someone who le- likes to research, that's good for a doctor. That's a good, good trait to have yeah. as a doctor. Right? Want, <laughs> I want a doctor that looks stuff up. That's good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, <laughs> where do you think I get it from? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, so why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? I have uh, a podcast, or that's not strictly true. Uh, I'm part of a large group of people who record a podcast called Storymark, and it's our podcast about Storium.com, which is a website for communal creative writing and storytelling games. And a group of us record a podcast about how to get the most out of that site. So if you're at all interested in storytelling and writing, check us out at Storymark.com, or we're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. Of course, if you want to find all the back episodes of the show, go to the website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, uh, I want to mention this. Uh, a couple of, by the time you're all going to hear this, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my pal, uh, Laura Tenchert, host of the great Definitely Dylan uh, podcast, and radio show launched a Patreon and uh, you should all support Laura's work because she's great. And uh, I've had a couple of people say to me that, uh, when are you going to start a Patreon? And uh, I have one. (laughs) In fact, (laughs) I've been ending the show with the Patreon plug for like a hundred episodes now. So everybody, um, I, the, this show is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I will admit this show is a bit of an outlier because we mostly talk about comic books and movies and other things over there. There is another music-related show. There's Fire and Water Records. But Pod Dylan does, is kind of the, the, the outlier uh, on the network. But it, the show would not exist without the network. So if you want to support Pod Dylan uh, via Patreon, and I hope that you do, uh, please go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there is where you can contribute to uh, the continued uh, existence of Pod Dylan by contributing to the network, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And so one of the rewards you can get is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So I want to give a big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, and George Doherty for their support of Pod Dylan. So like I said, go support Laura over on Patreon and please support Pod Dylan over on Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs.